I was intending to talk about the nature of humanity today, um, but Tim kind of nailed that. Is in his last one, and so. But when I what was going on when I was out at Bethel, different talks. I just I just pictured this, I guess, a house of mirrors. And I just started thinking how we're going to be spending a lot of time this quarter talking about our identity, who we are in Christ, that we're the new creation. We talked about the authority of the believer. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about our personality and our gifts. And, and through all this, I just got to thinking how easy it is sometimes for us to pile on head knowledge and, and the heart. Not that the heart needs to change as far as, you know, at a salvation or a purity level or kind of in a sincerity, but we believe in things in our hearts. And so we can get more head knowledge. But we haven't really dislodged or believing in our hearts. So that came to me all in just one split second out, out in Bethel and how in this, in this idea of a house of mirrors, how we spend so much of our lives in a house of mirrors and it distorts the reflection that we see. It distorts who we are. And people can ask us, Think about it. People say, who are you? Most of us ask, answer with something we do. I'm a teacher. I'm a mom. I'm a pastor. I'm whatever. We, we answer with something we do, but that's still not really who we are. And all of us spend so much of our lives trying to figure who we are. And we listen to so many voices and there's so much going inside of us to help us figure out who we are. And some of that forms these mirrors that distort who we are, distort our reflection. Okay, now I've already talked a little bit about the head knowledge, heart knowledge thing. We live from our guts, whether we realize it or not. We like to say our emotions don't control us, but we live from our guts. We, things are stored in our limbic system that we react from, we live from, that we can't put language to because there's no language in the limbic system of our brain. And we tell ourselves that's foolish. That's not true. We engage the cortical area of our brain, but the beliefs are still lodged in there. So we, we want to get rid of those lies so that the truth can really get in there. Also, we're going to do some forgiveness tonight, too. And I just want to remind us that forgiveness isn't blame. Forgiveness isn't criticizing someone. There are sometimes mirrors, distorted mirrors. There's labels that get attached inadvertently. We as parents and whoever we're interacting with, we are attaching labels. We are, we are not going to keep the mirrors that our friends and our family look into perfectly straight. I don't, I don't know that we can. And so forgiveness is just releasing that, okay? So now, we're in this house of mirrors, trying to figure out what we look like, who we are. And we're trying to find the accurate reflection. The one mirror is, is what other people think. If you think about it, it's, this is a very hard mirror to really shatter, to walk away from. We keep coming back to it. It's the primary mirror we use when our, in our, when our teenage years. If you think I'm okay, then I'm okay. Okay? If, if you like me, then I'm okay. But then I have to be certain that you continue to like me. And then there comes a problem with if Sherry likes me, for one thing, and Carolyn doesn't like it, i got to figure out which one of those I'm going to try to please. So it depends on how. And I end up either becoming two people or I end up trying to just shut it all down because I can't, I can't please everybody. I can't get everybody to like me. Okay. We also, what happens so often when I'm looking to people to, for my mirror and it's, it's all works out great when everything's going fine, when people are praising me and they're clapping and they're saying how good I am. 
But if that's what I'm relying on for my reflection, any criticism or any rejection is going to destroy me. And and then I don't then I don't know what I don't know how to recover. So that's that's one mirror is other, the opinion of other people. Another mirror is the enemy. Well, we know that the enemy lies um, in our heads, but the enemy also tells us lies that we tend to believe because he wants to keep us inept, inadequate, stalled, just not doing what God wants us to do. Sometimes we look inside of us to find out who we are, and it sounds like that might sound okay, but if the mirror is inside of us, that it kind of all depends on how my day is going. <laughs> Or if I'm in a depression or not. The wintertime is probably not the best time for me to figure out who I am. Because usually I'm not feeling so well in the wintertime. So if the house is great, school's been accomplished, I've been patient with the kids, then everything's feeling good. If I look inside of me and there's no turmoil, then, hey, I'm okay, I'm all right. But if I've got a little bit of frustration and I've been angry with the kids, and then I don't have a real good reflection staring back at me. And then as we go through life, shame and condemnation get piled on. There's another mirror. And I'm not a big fan of using shame, although I find myself resorting to it, unfortunately. And I could just kick myself every time I do. Shame is a really good motivator initially, but it distorts, people, it distorts our mirrors. It distorts the mirrors of those who are using shame. Um, so what we're going to do today, and I don't know how much teaching I'm actually going to do, because, like I said, my goal today is to, to get rid of whatever, whatever lies that we're believing that are related to our identity. Okay? So we have these mirrors that we've been looking at. All right? And we know that the only reflection that we can, you said it, Tim said it in a sermon, that the only reflection we can truly trust, the only reflection that a bride can trust is what she sees in the eyes of her bridegroom, something to that effect. And we know that what God says about us is the truth. But we can hear these things. I'm my beloved. I'm the righteousness of Christ. I am chosen. I am powerful. I am, we can hear all these things. That was one thing I was going to do. And, um, and it gets shoved in there, and we try to believe it. But when life happens, those aren't the first things that come out. When I, I, um, I did an exercise out there at Bethel where we had to, it was a, it's a Sozo team. It's just everybody's Sozo people. So he had us doing this sozo exercise where we had to, is for him, what he was liking it to his baggage. Um, but I've been carrying around a label, and the label said victim. And I would never say, I preach that we're not victims, that we're victorious, that we're overcomers, and I believe that we're more than conquerors. But I had this label I would pull out every now and then to commiserate, to feel sorry for myself when somebody didn't like what I said on Facebook or somebody, I heard some other, something else that, that somebody said or that kind of thing. I'm like, nobody understands me. I pulled this victim card out. And so that I'm saying that to say that there are times that we want to believe what God is saying and we do initially, we receive it with a lot of joy, but that it doesn't, we end up pulling out the other lies when life happens and when things happen. So the first exercise, what we're going to do is um, oh, I wanted some music. You think you can get some music up? Okay. That one wordless, that Bethel word, is it Bethel without words? I can do that. Do you mind? Yeah. Is that a possible do that? Will we be able to hear you still? Yes, you'll be able to hear me. Just have it quiet. We're not going to, I'll be sure you can hear me. I'll try to raise my voice up. All right, I'm going to pray. And then um, we're going to start getting into this activity, Okay.
Father, I thank you that you are the one who says who we are and we can trust the reflection that we see in your eyes. And we long to live from the truth that you, of who you say that we are and leave forever the mirror house that distorts the reflections that we see. We ask that your Holy Spirit would just fill this room and would you reveal um, any, anything, any, any thing that we're believing that's distorting who we really are that you would like to address in each one of us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I just, I just want you to ask, and whatever member of the Godhead, Father, Holy Spirit of Jesus, just ask them what lie you're believing about yourself. And then what you're going to do is, you can keep hearing, and that's fine. And what you're going to do is you're going to find an item in that pile that embodies that lie or represents that lie somehow. You know, sometimes it's hard to take a lie and find an object that seems to represent it or embody it. And you might not, there might not be anything there. And maybe you might not reveal a lie right now. If there is nothing in the pile, that's fine. Just hold tight. Right? Are we ready? I don't want to move too fast. Well, what we're going to do is, if you're, if you're willing, if you chose an item, I want you to tell us why you chose it. Okay, I'll start. I, I just I chose the rope because the lie that I'm believing is that I'm limited that I'm, I, I can't, I'm not free to do what I need to do or do what I would like to do. And um, that's, what, that's why I chose the rope. And the, the other question is, what are you feeling or experiencing? As I embodied this lie, it made it feel ridiculous. <laughs> I all of a sudden realized it's just, it made the lie seem silly kind of. Um, I don't know if anybody else want to tell us what they chose, why they chose, or what lie God revealed to them. Okay, and we're ready to move on. What I want you now is to ask, there's tissues beside there. Right there. Now we're going to ask Jesus another question, okay? All right, let's ask Jesus. Jesus, show me how this lie has affected my life. Does anybody want to share what Jesus shows them as far as how the lie is affecting them. All right, then it's time to get rid of the lie. Um, let's ask, there's a couple questions, and I'll just kind of, I'm not going to say rapid fire them, but just give you some suggested questions to ask so you're not waiting to see what's the next question, kind of. Um, but let's, we're going to ask, when were you taught this lie? And if someone comes to mind, I'd encourage you to forgive that person. And if nothing really comes to mind, you can ask God if, if there is someone that you need to forgive for teaching you this lie, for modeling it, or, or whatever, okay? Just just ask him, when was I first introduced to this lie? When did I begin to believe this lie? And who do I need to forgive? For me, the rope turned into reins on a horse. But originally, when I first asked what the truth was, I remember a, a vision he gave me the first Sunday I was here. 
and we hadn't started coming here yet. We came in October, but a couple weeks before that, Jared's kids were getting dedicated, and so we came for the dedication. And I knew we were coming here. We'd already said our goodbyes, but we're like we're waiting the month out. And I remember standing over here in one of these pews and just instantly feeling like a cult set free in the spring, just just like and. I mean, almost it almost made me cry then. So that picture came to my mind, and it was like that the 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 ropes then became the reins, but that he's he doesn't pull a hard rein. He doesn't. I don't know that horse language, but it's not like he has keeps the reins tight. There's a lot of um, blacks, a lot of slack in the reins. I was uh, as I was preparing for this, I was reading through, just trying trying to get my mind where I what what I want to say, what I want to do. And a friend of mine wrote a book. I was reading it and there's, you know, they have certain parts that are highlighted on a blog post to be tweet this, but it was this kind of a frame in the middle. It said, if we refuse to think, if we refuse to allow ourselves to dwell on certain thoughts, then we can't take them captive. I thought that's actually right. And I thought that's interesting. And how many times do we, we have things in the back of our mind that we know that's going on that we believe or that we need to deal with. We kind of just, because it's too painful to go there. I'm not making go there. I'm just saying. I'm just... I can remember very keenly what it felt like to be in a box, to be forced into a box. So we have mirrors that tell us, give us reflections of ourselves. But we also have boxes or labels that either we put ourselves into or people put us into. Either because you're male or female or because of family you were born into, or because of your birth order, or where you come from, right. what church you went to, all these reasons. Oh, so you're so-and-so's kid. That, and they've already got y'all, they've got you pegged. They've got you labeled. And so boxes are another way that we're trying to for who we are, and we're in this box, and I'm really going to turn that thing off so I don't run the battery down. I used to think I was the only one that was forced into this box. Not that I was naive enough to think nobody else did, but I would look at other people who were, seemed nationally what I thought I needed to be, and I was jealous, but then I realized that they they were in this box, that they wish they could be more like me kind of a thing. So they had, we all have these labels that we have on, we have on people. And, um, and if you think about it, there's no, there's no, like if you think if you're real friendly, you're labeled either, um, superficial or a flirt. But if you're quiet, you're just so shy, you don't want to talk to anybody. Um, you're, or you're stuck up. Exactly. Yes. You're told. Some people are told, do you ever quiet down? Or will you please shut up? Or I was like, can I speak up? I can't hear you anymore. And do you always have to hog a conversation? Or don't you ever have anything to contribute to the conversation? You don't ever say anything. Don't you, don't you think for yourself? So these are, these are words that we speak to people that label them, and how many times I'd have, I've experienced this, because usually what I experience is people think I talk too much, but I know that my husband has, and other people I've talked to, when they finally do something, say something in a conversation, oh, you're going to talk, and then that just shuts them right up, up, up again, right? It better be good. It better, yeah, let's even wait for it. <laughs> and words have been used to label and define who we are. I'm not, I'm not a person who's opposed to labels per se because I feel like in some ways labels, healthy labels, help us to know what we can receive from each other. I can honor you best if I know who you are, okay? 
I know that you're an artist and I can draw that out of you and I can lean on you for things. But there are other ways that I can label you, even in that same area, that are dishonoring. Have you ever, I know I was thinking about this not too long ago, more in relation to someone said, trying to figure out if I want to go here. I was informed of someone who made a derogatory remark about a desire of mine. Okay. Then back to what they said was the only reason she came to Gateway is because she, she, they needed, or she wanted to be a pastor. And I want, and, and I was like, I didn't even think women could be pastors when they came to Gateway. <laughs> but I mean, but I realized how that the way, but the way that it was said made me want to apologize. So you think, but think about this. There are times that people speak of things that God has placed in us in such a way that we want to apologize for who we are. They apply a label in a derogatory way that makes us want to remove the label. That's one, that's one kind of label. Because the words, when, when things are spoken over to us, even if they're good things, if they're spoken through a heart of rejection, it makes us want to distance ourselves from it. And it makes us want to apologize for who we are. But then there are other labels that, that are just put on us. Um, and we spend our lives trying to get rid of them. Or we just give up and just if that's what people expect of us and we become what people have labeled us. In the movie Ice Age Meltdown, remember Ellie? She believed all of her life that she was a, an opossum. And when Manny tried to tell her she was a um what are they? Ah, <laughs> oh, brain fart. Anyway, a mammoth. She didn't believe him. <laughs> she didn't believe him. And I think there's times that we believe the labels about us so much that when people speak the different and say, hey, I see this in you, we don't believe them. When, say, so I would have, you know, if you've seen Ice Age, when Manny says, there are more mammoths. She's like, where, where? <laughs> I have found that same reaction when someone says, wow, you're so gentle. I'm like, are you talking to me? I'm like, who are you talking to? Because we believe the labels that people have put on us. And we become the label that people have put on us. It suddenly mm-hmm. matters quite a bit. It does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there are good labels. There are good labels that we need to not worry about shying away from. And recognizing, even if they come through a heart of rejection and they make us want to back up, is this really... I decided after that, I realized how I responded to that and made me want to explain and defend and apologize. I don't need to apologize. I don't need to apologize for what he has placed in my heart. But, and so those are good, those are good labels. Um, tonight, what I want us to think about is what, another, another thing that's spoken over me quite frequently, um, and my mom, was, we've worked through this with my mom. She used to call me scatterbrain. She didn't realize that my scatterbrain was really... Um, a disengagement. I was detached. I had to detach to survive, but to her, I was just scatterbrain. Um, and so I live with that label being scatterbrain. Most of my, I'm still trying to live that one down. Actually, I'm trying to be engaged. But anyway, I don't think we realize sometimes that with the words that have been spoken to us, how they create, how they have the power to create. There's life in the, the power of the tongue. There's life and death in the power of the tongue. And the words that people have spoken over us or said to us, especially when they come with, it's like, it's like the, they, I was, um, the, the, there's a, actually an energy force that around your heart, there's, that actually can be measured. 
so that you can feel you can feel the vibes from my heart before you can feel the words that I'm saying. And uh, I, I'm getting into it, something else that I was thinking about probably in the next sermon on honor. But that that hit me in that how when why when words are spoken from a heart of rejection why they have that so much power to wound because even if the words have truth to them they're coming from a heart of rejection and it creates this dissonance and i'm getting way off topic because the point of what i want to really talk about is even even when people say things to us that are good things if they come from a place of rejection it creates this label that we try to live down or apologize for okay so I want us to be thinking here. This is so. This is the next exercise we're going to do. We're we're at eight thirty, so I don't don't want to belabor it too much. Um, we're going to this time. I want you to. There's pens here somewhere. Where did I put the pens? Here they are. All right. We're going to ask God if there are words that have been spoken over you that have been have or a label that's been attached to you. And what I want you to do is I want you to get a label, and I want you to write that, and I want you to put it on. Like, okay. So I'm just going to put them here. That's, that's the easiest place. There's pens here. Um, or I could, I don't know, should open this up. Should have opened it up before. Do you understand what I'm asking? We're going to do? We all have been labeled. We all have labels attached to us, either by teachers, parents, coworkers, friends, um, siblings. Peers, there's labels. There's a bunch of them. All right. So we're going to get rid of at least one label tonight. (laughs) He's not sure. All right. Are you ready? So close your eyes. All right. Jesus, is there a label that I've been wearing that is not who I am? And if you get an answer of what it is, you come up, you get a label, you write it on, you put it on, just like you have to when you go to a conference. Hi, my name is Scatterbrain. I like when God takes things that we think are negative, and he turns them around for good, like he did for you, the wild donkey of a man. Wild donkey, dreamer, a lot of these things. Yes. Dreamer used to be, I was like, oh, dreamer. Meaning I wish you'd pay attention to class. Yeah. That's what. on his head. This is one thing I noticed in, in, in The Greatest Showman. The criticism, one of the critics of the show was that it's such a circus. Now I don't know if the word was made up then, and he took that word. It was meant as an insult. And everything the guy said in his critique of it, he used it and flipped it around. So I liked it. It's called a circus. I don't, I haven't really, not all of it is factual, but I thought, that's interesting. I like the way God does that sometimes. There's a form of retaliation. There is, there is a form of retaliation, yes. Okay. We've introduced ourselves, I guess. We've... That's okay. That's it, it is. It is hard to read it from here. Okay. That's, yeah, you did. You spelled it right. I saw your. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I wouldn't mind if you don't want to introduce yourself. Isn't that something to label the book? Yeah. Or so like, yeah. Stan, what did you say? Being nothing. Being nothing. Okay. Mary, did you have a label? Okay. 
cherry. Black sheep of the family. I, <laughs> I, I didn't get one. I had trouble. I couldn't. I was having trouble with the things I heard. I was like, it didn't seem like it really fit. You know, sometimes you get an answer like, I don't know if I'm figuring that out. So. Well, troublesome is what I. What you got. I you got. That's why you laughed. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, now, how do you feel wearing that label? Now, you were laughing about it, so that's fine. Yes, we don't want you to be respectable. But <laughs> all right, it's uh, all right. Let's um, let's ask. Just ask um, where you got the label. When was it applied? Who you need to forgive? That kind of. I'm not going to give you the questions asked, but um, basically, we want to figure. We want to know who needs to be forgiven for this label that that has been applied to us. Now we've gotten these truths and these labels. We have to kind of remember to wear them. Okay, I talked about how I um, had the uh, label victim that I would pull out and I would wear it whenever I got insulted or criticized or something. And just I was, and sometimes it was a feel sorry for me and sometimes it was that as like a badge of honor. And So I didn't really want to give it up. And I don't know if anybody had difficulty giving up their, their label or not. And I, had, I asked him, so why, why am I having difficulty giving it up? And he said, because... I, I, it was a source of um, how do I how I can't basically people have concern and have pity on someone who's a victim. So for me, it was a way of garnering sympathy. I mean, and uh, so I, I gave it up and I asked him what he had in return, and it was he said because I wasn't using a label at the time. He gave me the word favor. So then, when this other comment was made. Um, it was much easier for me to, okay, I, it landed, and I thought about it. I could feel myself wanting to get defensive and explain, and I was like, wait a minute, I'm not a victim anymore. I've traded that in for favor, and that was able to help me then take the next step on processing that. And so um, so I'd encourage you, these labels or the truth that he's given you in exchange for lies, that that, that it becomes something that you remind yourself of that this is who he says I am. This this is who he says I am. And I'm not gonna, I'm not going to apologize for this. And I I like I love when he switched years around from immature to child. I love that that switch there. And um, not allowing the enemy to take what God has said and distort it again. Um, anyway, does anybody have any thoughts? I've got a few things here I could teach, but I really wasn't sure that I would ever get much time. And I'm not, it's not really going to be teaching. Um, but I want to give anybody an opportunity to share anything they're experiencing, feeling, um, anything more they're getting on either the lie or the truth they've got and the label they've exchanged or anything like that. If not, we've got about 10 minutes because I have a video I want to play too. But I just want to go over some verses for us to keep in mind. I have... I have a whole list that I was going to print off when I got here. I was going to hook up to the computer. I can either copy it or I can email it to you or one of the, I'll get it somehow. It's a whole list of everything the Bible says about what we are. Originally, when I first made the syllabus, I was thinking about having a whole lesson, just going over every, every verse in the Bible that speaks to who we are and just reading them and talking about them. And we filled up the lessons. And so I'm going to give you the list. So the first one I want to talk about is the fact that we're made in God's image. And we know that. But what does that mean? 
if you, if you think about it, when Jared was born, and for most of Jared's life, people were like, he is a spitting image of his dad. He acts like him. He looks like him. And when you see, and, but think about saying that you're a spitting image of your heavenly father. I mean, that's what he's created us to be. We look like him. We act like him. Sometimes the mirrors distort how we see ourselves. And if my image of myself is distorted, how I'm going to relate to you is going to be distorted as well. And so it gets messed up. And sometimes when we live out of our labels, we're not really living up to the image of God in us. But it doesn't change the fact that we're made in the image of God, that we look like him, that we act like him, that we have his mannerisms. And it's something that we live by by faith. It's, it's, um, and that we believe it by faith. When um, in the Garden of Eden, when Eve ate the fruit and, and God comes and asks them what happened, she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the, the more, uh, more accurate translation of that is that the serpent calls me to forget. So what did the serpent cause her to forget? Well, what did he say? He said, you're going to be like God if you eat this. Well, she already was like God. She was already created in his image. She already was. She didn't have to do anything to be like God because he created her like him. And so often we forget. We believe a lot that we have to do something or we believe what people pile on us. That we have to do certain things to be like God or to be better people. And we are, in, we are like him. There's nothing we can do. And when we start to feel like we have to do to become, to be like what we already are, in Eve's case, it caused a lot of havoc, a lot of stuff. And for us, it can cause a lot of pain in our lives and lives of others. Another one is that John tells us that we are like, that as he is, as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, let the, let the impact of that, as Jesus is now, that's a present tense, as Jesus is now, in his glorified, perfected state, so are we in this world. Now, I don't always feel like I act like that. And it's another one of those realities, a now and a not yet, a now and a not yet. It's, it's, it's a done deal because most of the verbs that talk about who we are are past perfect, that done the, which means they're done in the past, but they have continuing effect. As he is in this world, as he is, we also are in this world. First, Peter tells us that he has made us partakers of a divine nature. Now, all of these have a similar thread here, if you think about it. I didn't think about it when I wrote it down. It just kind of puts what came to my mind. Um, we are made in the image of God. As Jesus is, so are we. And he's made us partakers of his divine nature. And partaker is, okay, is one who, if we partake together, we do it together. It's something we're doing with him, that we have with him. We share in his divine nature. How does that change how we see ourselves? What kind of a mirror does that create for us? How, how many of us, when we hear those, we immediately think, it, it, it causes us to think, oh, that's not me. That doesn't look like me. Who are you talking about? You certainly aren't talking about me. There's somebody. And this is the mirror that tells us who we are. It's not distorted. We end up distorting it because we're trying to figure it no, we, we look at We look at what we do 
and we doubt what he says about us. And so we turn away from the perfect mirror that shows the perfect reflection of who we are, and we turn to another mirror, either to what other people say we are, or we look inside of ourselves, or we look to what we've done, or we look to the accuser of the brethren, instead of looking at the accurate mirror of who God says we are in his image. We look just like him. We're just like, we're, as Jesus is, we're there. And that we're recognizing there's a now and a not yet nature. It's happened, but it's all, we're also becoming. We are and we're becoming. And it's a mystery that, you know, I just, we just accept. I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, in in the, um, the video that, or I don't, I don't, I don't remember, I know it's an audio CD that I recommend. I think somebody got one of mine. I bought 10 of them. Jonathan likens it to your completely new creation and you, it's like, he, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, okay? And Mr. Hyde is dead, but when he comes into the apartment, he sees Dr. Jekyll. I think I got them right. Dr. Jekyll's the good guy, right? Mr. Hyde is the alternate personality, right? And there's some of Mr. Hyde's clothes laying around. And so we're already perfected. We're already made in his image. And we're going around and realize, ah, oh, we remember what it was like to wear that shirt. So we put it on for a while. And we act like our old man who's already dead because we're wearing, a, we're wearing a shirt. Remember what it felt like? Remember how powerful it made us feel? Remember whatever. Or for whatever jerky reason we do, we put on the clothes of the old man. It doesn't change who we are. It just means we wore the wrong clothes for a while. And the less we wear them, the more, the, the more ill-fitting they become. Does that make sense? The first couple of times I put on a shirt that I haven't worn for a while, it feels familiar. But once I stop wearing it after a while, it doesn't fit anymore. And so it's the same way I'm, I have had a tendency to anger, um, but it doesn't feel like it fits anymore. It doesn't mean I don't get angry. I still have a temper, just a hot temper, but it doesn't feel like it fits quite as good as it once fit. And when I do wear that shirt, it doesn't change who I am. It doesn't change the fact that I'm made in his image. It doesn't change the fact that I'm partaker of a divine nature. It doesn't change the fact that I'm a powerful person. None of that changes just because I wore that shirt for a while. All right. Um, we're going to play a video. You want to get that video up for me? I'm going to, and this is a, this has been my, this has been my song that I, it's been a song that's been very cathartic for me. Because um, if you think about the thing, the labels that people apply, the words they say, the lies that we believe cause us to want to hide. No matter how outspoken we are, no matter how much of an extrovert we are, it wants us to hide our truth. We want to hide our true selves. We want to just back off and just not, not be out there. And we, and it, we end up with, oh, I've I got to close that document here so I can see what I'm doing. But the moment we learn to step into our identity, it's time we do that. It's time we left the labels and the distorted mirrors, left the mirror house, and stepped out into who we really are, to celebrate who we are, who we're created to be, and stop apologizing for who we are. There's This is um, from the, from the um, greatest showman. These rejects, they've been rejected by society. And at this point, they decide that, you know what, this is me, and I make no apologies. And I'm going to turn, you're going to have to turn this off, because I'm going to end up singing. 